Welcome back to Pixel Sift Radio Murdoch's weekly video game show. Each week, we sift through the gaming news, removing all the clumps and bringing you the very finest of video game commentary. This is episode five, and I'm Johnny, and I'm joined again by my co-hosts in the studio, Mitch and Scott. Say hi. Hello. Hello. Now, Scott, you've been breaking things in games this week, and you've been loving it. Tell uh, us what we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. Absolutely. Uh, glitches in games, uh, basically, looking through all the classic glitches in all our favourite games, as well as a few speed runs. You can use the glitch for effect, basically, yeah, to get exactly. through and break the rules of the game glitch to get through master. as quick. And there's a point of contention, but we'll have a look at that a little bit later on. Uh, I had the chance to speak to some of the awesome guys at Bright Spike Games, Bright, sorry, Byte Sprite Games, local WA devs, and their new game, which promises to be a perfect game to play with friends. I guess the uh, the one-line pitch is Brawlash is a sprightly multiplayer co-op with tactical team and swap strategy uh, where you have to communicate, coordinate, and betray to win. We also spoke about some of the educational games that they've been working on while working on their game Brawlash. Mitch, what is the first topic that we're going to be checking out today? What is the first cab off the rank? All right, so pretty much what we're talking about today regarding me is um, episodic games. Um, So pretty much... We'll be looking uh, at the ins and outs of games that are delivered in little chunks. Yeah, so pretty much like every time everybody's waited for the next issue of a comic book knows the feeling of waiting for the next episode of something. So we'll be talking about that. Let's get into it. Pixel Civ! It's not Pixel Civ. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Civ! Tuh. I have just the thing for you. You're giving me a sword? Even better, you can make your own. What's your name? I'm Clementine. This is my house. Hi, Clementine. I'm Lee. Dr. Freeman, I presume. I better hurry. You can call me Elizabeth. What can I do for you? There's a girl who needs to be found. Maybe you've seen her. This girl. This girl's dead. Now, you might have uh, a bit of recollection about some of the games that were mentioned in there, or you would have heard bits from there. We had uh, the Half-Life 2 uh, that was from the first part, and then that became an episodic <laughs> game. We've also yep. had Lost at Sea, which was part of Bioshock Infinite, the second uh, two-part episodic section of that game after you completed the main storyline. We had uh, Telltale's Walking Dead game as well. Mm-hmm. And we also had the very much hyped minecraft story mode again made by telltale yeah that's interesting which you would have heard at the yeah. very top of that so we're talking a little bit about episodic games and sort of delivering games in little bite-sized chunks for you to do uh to play at your leisure to keep the story going for as long as you want and yeah. well i mean what do we think about episodic games so so pretty much in the pretty much with the advent of the internet game companies seem to have strayed away from the bookend um by bookend i mean like Finishing off their stories in like a very conclusive manner, I think they're always looking to create the next thing regarding their franchises. So they can't really put a stop to their franchise, then they'll lose the ability to create new stories. So it's a different, it's a different sort of method of having uh, you know games come out in extra bits and pieces. Yeah, but this is not what I'm referring to when mm-hmm. um, regarding episodic games and. And like mainly story-based games is what I'm referring to. I think you mean um, games designed. As yeah, games designed to tell a story, which mm-hmm. is why I think like g- people have been less satisfied with the storytelling of video games as of late. 
So I think these story-based games, such as, you know, the Telltale series, series, bleh, Telltale series, <laughs> series have time, have come in to maybe fill the gap of narrative need for the player in an episodic format, taking advantage of the fact that you can now download ep- download episodes and, like, whereas AAA games seem to see it as a crutch, as, as a crutch, you know, like... Um, you know, these episodic games and story-based games are seeing it as a very good opportunity. It's really um, interesting when you think about it because it's almost like the television mod- model where you have an episode each week yeah. or an episode each month or something like that where you mm. basically have got a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of each episode mm-hmm. and then you're waiting for the next one to come out. But, I mean, a lot of TV shows now have moved to the all-at-once um, binge work model and mm-hmm. that's more yeah. like... How that's how we soak it in. Um, I mean, the, the issue with this uh, as far as winning audiences over is the fact that you're not getting a proper thought out structured from start to finish while well, we finish in, in quotes there uh, story. So you're not going to be won over by it as quickly. You're only going to get a very small excerpt of what the story is. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, I mean, I know you're a big Destiny fan, but yeah. I mean, that's a perfect one that kind yeah, of exactly. is not convincing people at the start. But now, yeah. you know, it's a year down the track. Things but may be looking up. Kind that's of what I was referring to as regards the big AAA companies are a little apprehensive to bookend their stories. Um, like, for example, you have Mass Effect and everything. In Mass Effect, the story was very open-ended at the end of that. It was really up for interpretation. I'm not sure. Like they, they say that was a good way to end the series and they felt comfortable with that. But I think that might have been just creating new opportunities to create more with the franchise. And I think they are working on something yeah, now. Yeah, they're moving into another, yeah. another game now yeah. in a sort of different sort of universe as and well. And they're also... It seems like they want to do the prequel a lot as well. Instead of moving forward and ending stories, they're creating new stories at the beginning, which is what these narrative games like the Telltale series aim on not doing. Well, yeah. you know, people people have been fo- uh, developers have been following on stories for you know ever. This is something that's not new to gaming, uh, and basically the levels in each thing are like mm-hmm. an episode, aren't they? Sure, that's true. I mean, and you've even got of- kind of like what would be called slack, I guess. Um, types of games that continue that on like a you know zelda is a story that kind of goes back and forth and all over the place and like um you have to kind of just use your imagination a bit to accept that it all kind of makes sense and works as a story it isn't a, a concise story of course but you know i think it's, it's important to distinguish oh sorry i think it's important to distinguish the difference between like the sequel and episodic yeah i think okay. i don't think i did a very good job of that earlier no sorry i'd probably but, get a yeah. little bit lost in my own thoughts there as well yeah. you are right there is a huge yeah. difference because the episodic stuff seems to come out within months of each other um for example life is strange that i've been playing recently um and the last episode came out yesterday and um yeah that came out over the course of i think a year so yeah. um that is so like these, it, as opposed to let's say something like Halo that you have to wait three years for. So I think people are looking now for more a, a quicker version of the story. As Granted as- that these, sorry, these Telltale games are. I mean, sorry, these like Life is Strange is Square Enix, mm-hmm. but the gameplay element of that isn't actually that engaging. You just walk around and talk to people. Yeah, there were very few mechanics. In fact, in this last this last episode, there was only a sneaking mechanic that was introduced and you just had to avoid some flashlights. Yeah, it wasn't that yeah. impressive. Yeah. There will be no spoilers of Life Strange episode 5. No, no, no. I'll keep yeah. my tongue uh, yeah. held tight on that one. Yeah. Um, the, as long as the good quality games like this keep releasing episodic games, I mean, we've got that. Uh, the Walking Dead, of course, uh, cashing in on the whole Walking Dead franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is another one that's doing that, which, which right. has just had another release yesterday as well are they telltale as well um no it's big ben games I no oh, okay. uh, yeah it's uh and also frogwares right is the developer 
Uh, is there a type of game that you think suits an episodic format more than any other type? I mean, we did see with Halo 4 where they brought out episodic content as part of that, their, their Spartan Ops. Yeah. Um, First-person shooters, we have that. We also have it with um, think about things like Borderlands, for example, had a lot yeah. of extra episodes that came at the end of it. And some of those really changed the way that the game worked. Mm-hmm. Um and had completely different stuff as well. They could do something completely outside of it. I mean, is there something that we say that it, it's not going to work with? I think it's definitely... Episodic real-time strategy games? <laughs> Episodic real-time strategy. That would be interesting. I, I did see, like, the, the modding community does like that particular thing. Like, they would try and create little scenarios with the StarCraft engine. But um, I think a particular franchise that would work well to, let's say, like, a very heavy narrative element, I think maybe... I'm not sure. I think the Halo series could you could do with a couple of things. A lot of people are already invested in that narrative to the degree that there are whole novel series dedicated to it. Do you think that's a new angle for developers of the yeah. of the AAA games instead of uh, you know investing a lot of effort into releasing a huge game every couple of years? They'll cash in on a like already existing something like like Halo and just do little releases. Yeah, if I it, mean, is there there's the, the counter argument to that is. Um, are, are we being sold partially sold games or partially completed games? <laughs> I so think that at we the, can at buy the, the point, next chapter pack or whatever. I think at the point where they can like be cost effective, like Life is Strange, the whole collection was I think about twenty dollars or th- no, I think twenty seven dollars Australian. So I think if it as long as it's not costing sixty dollars and yeah. you're just getting as long like as it's a, reasonable, yeah. You can sort of justify yeah. small bite-sized chunks. I think so. DLC stuff I think is really interesting and having yeah. extra episode content and stuff like that is really good. It's inter- like There's always better ways to do it and worse ways to do it. Um, and I'm sure we're going to see more and more of it. As I well. think the important thing now that episodic games are starting to suffer from is their release squ- schedules, even though close together, are becoming a little erratic. Mm. So I think maybe uh, three months between episodes, I think, is pushing it. I think at least maybe two months is a good window because... You start to lose the player. You don't want to have the player have to play through every single iteration of the narrative again, again mm. before everything comes out again, like uh, when the new version comes out, because frankly, that's tiresome and people don't really want to do that. So I think well, the the problem with Life is Strange Episode 5 is that came out, I think, about four months after the Episode 4, I think. Yeah, so that's one of the issues that they need to address. I think it's something that I guess it's good now that we've got the option to deliver these content in different area, different Absolutely. ways. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't do this without the internet, basically. Mm-hmm. I suppose they used to do it on discs, mm-hmm. but you know, this makes it a lot easier. You can get things quicker. There's not as much distribution, and yeah, so uh, it's something to keep an eye on. Hopefully, we'll see um, some more interesting stuff with this in the future. Um, playing some good episodic games coming out soon. Whether PC, handheld, or console, Pixel Sift Radio Murdoch. So, before games became as available and accessible as they are today, some of the first you might have played were probably installed on your school computers, and if you were lucky enough, your computer at home. I'm probably showing my age here, but games such as Spellbound and Treasure Mountain, Operation Neptune, Logical Journey of the Zumbinis uh, made up a big part of my early gaming experiences. And they are educational games. They are trying to teach you something and uh, get you to learn something about that. That was a magic school bus game I played when I was like six. That yeah, was pretty cool. That was. There's lots of cool games and things like that. So earlier this week, I spoke to West Australian game developers from Byte Sprite Games. 
who, while working on their first commercial le- release, um, which we heard a little bit about in the beginning, uh, have been making games for the health, education, and research sector. I asked them about how making games to help people learn new things compared to making games for pure entertainment. What's good about working in sort of a more uh, serious or educational or simulation field? Um, you've got more restrictions on what you're doing, um, so you're working under more constraints of really trying to reach a specific goal um, and you know teach a specific thing. Um, so working with restrictions can also be quite fun, um, working, I guess, under constraints and trying to be creative while still trying to achieve um, you know, really defined goals. I'm Liam Hunt. Um, I've been working, uh, well, I started my own company last year um, with um, a friend called Sam Zed. We've been working on uh, our own uh, commercial games and also games in uh, uh, serious games, uh, education and simulation technology for about a year now. How does that uh, compare with the, the game that you're currently developing, which is Bramble Lash, which is on Steam Greenline at the moment, going pretty well? Um, it's really hard to say which is preferred. Um, I mean, the one that's more fun, uh, that's, you know, you can be more creative is, you know, working on your own game, so working on Bramble Ash for us. But um, I guess in a sense, um, what's good about this sort of uh, more uh, educational, more serious games, um, you're working under someone else, you're working with a different team. So every other, uh, you know, non, uh, I guess, entertainment game that we've created, we've worked with another team whose expertise is in something other than games. So you really get to see, like, inside of their world, basically, um, and understand um, and work within a topic that you're not previously trained in. Um, so you get to learn a lot about different things. Um, Do, and does that help with developing things. games for your for your own projects? Yeah, for sure. Um, you learn a lot of things when working with other people, and some someone will ask if you can do something or ask you to do something that um, you wouldn't have thought of before. So you go and learn new skills um, to satisfy different people's needs for their projects. Um, and so that can be really useful with your own sort of uh, creative games development as well. So you've got two major games that you guys have been working on. The Get the Facts, which was the game that you actually developed with the Department of Health. And you're also working with the Telethon Foundation to create an autism app as well. How, does, how do they both work? Yeah, so um, the uh, one for Get the Facts, um, basically we created a game that they're mainly geared towards um, teaching people about um, uh, STIs and how to prevent them and what symptoms are. It's effectively a simulation game um, that models the way STIs can spread within a population and the player has to play as, uh, I guess, from sort of a god perspective, similar to something like in Sims. A bit of uh, Sims meets, like, Pandemic. And what's the telethon game that you're working with, Autism Spectrum Disorders? What What's the aim of that particular app? So that app, um, we actually created it still um, in sort of a prototype form at the moment and they're going to be using it for uh, autism research at this stage. So um, they're going to be running it through a number of different trials. And the app is being used um, to see if you can use a digital medium, so use a game, in order to make uh, children or autistic children attend more to social information than they do. So it's trying to get them to attend more to people's faces um, and a number of different other criteria uh, instead of attending to non-social information. So things like um, balls, other objects. Is there a challenge making a game that's, um, you know, actually fun to play and that people are still going to get something out of? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess our sort of take on serious games um, and where we like to think we differ sometimes from other, I guess, edutainment products is um, we look at uh, the games that we create, the serious games we create, as a game first, um, not because uh, the educational aspect needs to be diminished at all, but mainly um, if you're creating a, as something that's supposed to be a game and supposed to be entertaining, um, ultimately you're competing for 
people's time and attention um, with other full, you know, full-scale commercial games. Um, because you are, if someone's going to be playing your game, they're spending time not playing other games. So first and foremost, the game has to be fun and engaging. It doesn't matter what the message is inside it. If your game isn't fun, people aren't even going to play it and aren't going to pay attention to what you're trying to teach. Liam Hunt of Bites Bright Games talking about the work that he and partner Sam Zeed have done on serious or educational games. Educational games are not all that Bites Bright do. They are also working on their first commercial game that ties in well with the couch co-op or competitive games that we were talking about in our last episode. Um, I'm very excited to see this one being played out. Um, we've got the name of the game. It's called Bramble Lash. <laughs> Um, which is <laughs> okay. I, I looked at I looked at this game earlier. You showed me some footage, and I thought, "Oh, this is a great way to make friends," and yeah. then lose them immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's look, it looks really good, and I think it's. I mean, Sam is going to tell us all about how this game came together in a bit of thing. Um, and since I've recorded this interview, like two days ago they've now actually been greenlit on steam so they're now going to get a full release on steam so Fantastic. pretty exciting stuff for uh, bytes bright games um when i chatted to, to sam zeed he's the second game dev that makes up bytes bright about um we talked about how bramble ash came together so the original idea for bramble ash actually arose through a game jam and roughly speaking, you get assigned a short period of time and you create a full game from scratch within that time period. The reward is the game itself. So it's really just setting yourself a higher time restriction challenge to try and get you, get you designing something creative. So what we originally designed during this game jam was a top-down space shooter um, but it was a three-player multiplayer game and it got us thinking a lot about about multiplayer games and multiplayer dynamics and things. And so we actually talked about having some kind of laser joining between the, the different ships and using that to strike down enemies, which is where Bramblash sort of got its feet. The, the tethering sort of mechanic was something that came, came up a few times and when we first created you know, the very first prototypes, it was literally just two boxes connected together by a cylinder because we wanted to test out, you know, if the mechanics could actually be enjoyable in their own space without any fluff or without anything like that. In Bramble Lash, four players move their flower characters around the same screen and work together to link up their spiky vines to defeat slimy blob enemies. The actual flower motif came about from an idea of using like an aperture to open. Okay, like a camera lens. Yeah, like a camera lens type thing to... Uh, open up and then shoot out the the tether. And aperture blades turned into flower petals. Yeah, so so it kind of um, went from there, and then it was sort of like a mix of a, a whole conglomerate of the concepts that we'd been exploring. And so we sort of decided to reappropriate that into like glowing fairy garden. But yeah, we we really wanted to make sure that the the, the graphics and the the design was all very focused around the tether itself, seeing as that's the core game mechanic. You know, it really needs to lead back to that. Um, and because of that, we had some really interesting ideas. We had ideas like simple ones like, you know, um, octopuses holding hands or elephants holding trunks and things like that. But we also had some more bizarre ones like uh, little devil. I was really keen on like li little devil creatures either linking their tongues together or spewing blood at one another. But we I got a bit of pushback on those ones. So. Didn't really go with them. Not, not so, not so family friendly. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were there yeah. were concerns that that sort of stuff would isolate people a little bit, and 
as our game is is very open to all all ages type thing, we really wanted to to push that and make sure that that was okay. And when people are playing this game, is it played across LAN with separate screens, or do you imagine having plugging you know a bunch of controllers in, or sharing a keyboard, or how does it work? So, so right now it works local multiplayer exclusively, um, but the game is still in development, and our intentions are to branch it out to online multiplayer. It's the ideal situation where you'd see someone playing this maybe on the couch with with a bunch of friends. Is that? And do you think that we're seeing a, a sort of a reemergence of this type of game? Yeah, absolutely. There's a reemergence of this kind of game, um, and. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, typically you, you think of local multiplayer um, as being a very console exclusive thing. Uh, but the other, the other thing about this sort of reemergence is it's actually pretty heavily happening on PC, which is kind of great for us because, you know, Steam is much more accessible than consoles. So we can approach Steam first and foremost and then uh, attempt to get onto the consoles from there. You guys are going to be getting out there. Uh, you know, in a week heading over to Melbourne and taking part in PAX, do you think that's a much better way to get your game in front of the people who'd be interested in playing it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially like we're a lo- local multiplayer game. So if if we want to want to be showing it off at its best, um, we're going to be showing it off at things like those events. People will be moving in groups. So it's best to get the whole group in front of your game and get them all playing. Exactly. Together. Yeah. People people don't want to be ripped from their group. The other benefit, of course, is if you've got a multiplayer experience, you've got multiple people at the booth at the same time. That was Sam Zeed from Western Australian developer Byte Sprite Games. I also spoke to Liam Hunt, the other half of Byte Sprite, about their work on games that entertain as well as teach. You can play Bramble Lash next week if you're heading over to Melbourne um, for Pact Australia or later next month, which is at the Perth Games Festival, which we're probably going to go have a look at. Absolutely. We'll be there. We'll be there checking it out. If you can't make it to either event, you can download the pre-release demo right now and play it at home. Um, you can share a keyboard with your family and friends and, and duke it out in Bramble Lash. We'll stick a link up on our show page on radiomurdoch.com forward slash pixel sift, P-I-X-E-L-S-I-F-T, and in the podcast description. You're listening to Pixel Sift on Radio Murdoch. Finally today, we're going to have a little bit of a talk about some of the funniest things that you can find in games, intentional or unintentional or making your own fun and things like that. Scott, what are we having to chat about? Uh, glitches, as you may have got onto. Uh, look, looking through all our favourite glitches from way back, um, I had Tony Hawk's Pro, Pro Skater 2 myself getting stuck up in the air doing like endless amounts of tricks. Um, pretty much any FIFA ever. But don't you only get the points when you land? Yeah, I know. <laughs> So, is it a... Make sure you land it. Yeah, make sure you land it. No, I I never did. And uh, you know what? I found you get to a point and the the, uh, score just reset anyway. Ticks over like a domino. Yeah. (laughs) You're just that good. (laughs) Uh, FIFA as well. Endless amounts of um, humping and making out and just general sexual behavior. Some (laughs) some of those FIFA gifts. Just wonder if they... Did they... they code that in because frankly they're just unbelievable i mean things like that as well as all the ridiculous things that happen in like you know skyrim and basically Mm -hmm. any game where you get the ability to kind of you know open world it a little bit uh running around etc you get um, amazing amounts of uh glitches and funny ones i mean i remember the the swimming people in skyrim Mm -hmm. and it just makes me think uh, is this like 
is this poor development or is this ridiculously funny development? Like FIFA with all the like the gifts we've got. Yeah, you gotta you gotta wonder at that point. Like, just when physics engines turn on you, I think. <laughs> I think like, but they turn the, on you in your favor. That's what yeah. I said. Like, I had such a great time um, playing and researching them mm-hmm. this week. I think developers are making sure that the game as a whole works so you can complete it. That sometimes those little things, I mean, that in the worlds <laughs> they create just don't go entirely right well, yeah there's this- a, always that saying whenever you're developing software stuff if something funny or weird happens and it doesn't stop you from doing what the actual thing is supposed to be it's not a bug it's a feature yeah and uh <laughs> it's allowing for emergent gameplay interestingly well, enough um in the um old intellivision series um they were back when mattel made video games um they would have to be coding pretty much until the game went to um, retail. So pretty much they would send the cartridge off to be made into multiple cartridges, like to be mass produced. Mm -hmm. Then they would test it. Right. Yeah. So then they would test the game and if they found a glitch, they would write it into the manual as an Easter egg. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you go to this certain point, the game will turn purple and like this is just how it is from now on. So if you want to unlock purple mode, this is how you unlock purple mode. mode. That yeah. is very clever, yeah. and someone who was working on that is obviously <laughs> deserves a raise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that things like that, but I think if game- you want your game save file to completely yeah. corrupt and all your progress to go, go to this thing and do this one particular thing. Yeah. Do it to your friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like a lot of people have an aversion to glitches, I guess, because it's you know it goes against uh, what the, the spirit, I guess, again in quotes, air quotes, uh, is all about. But you know, that's pretty. It's it's down to the person and what the spirit of the game is all about. And I mean, um, I played a lot of Halo multiplayer back in the day, and there were a lot of people who were glitching their way onto roofs so they could see through buildings. You couldn't shoot them, yep. and they could shoot you. That if kind it, of ruined the spirit of the game a little bit. If yeah, anybody's ever sword sniped in Halo 2, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, other people use the glitches for interesting purposes. We were talking a little bit about people who do speed runs, well, and yeah. they sometimes do them for charity and things like that. Sure. And they employ glitches. Sometimes. I mean, speedruns are a, a professional kind of thing, I guess, you know, gaming professional. Uh, yeah, yep. Split up into categories of glitch and, you know, um, low percentage and, and 100% kind of thing. Uh, so, there are speedruns that don't involve glitching for the people that, like I said, do have a strong aversion to it. Gaming purists. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, as far as uh, speedrunners go, that glitch stuff, they don't look at games in the same kind of manner that we do. Um, mm. You know, they, they, don't, they don't cheat the game. You know, they don't start the game with any kind of extra things they just kind of play the game how they've you know the quickest way they've can ably do it i guess stumbling mm. through that sentence a little bit i wonder what happens though if you're trying to do a non-glitch speed run and then you come across a glitch in the game how, did, how would that make you feel so like yeah it in, it, it, does you, it invalidate you so you need to know where they all are so you can avoid them exactly yeah. i think if you're speed running you probably know the game fairly well you know. could happen, though. Every now and then they do find these weird things and it's like, you know, some specific timing. Maybe it'd been sitting on the menu for yeah. 23 and 34 seconds or something. And then if you start again well, from there. As I, as I understand, speedrunners and glitch hunters are actually a thing. They run a program that identifies exactly what the game is telling them and exactly what they're doing to see if they can recreate that particular set oh, of conditions. Like to a debug console. Precisely. Or mm. Yeah. So they would run that kind of thing. Well, the way that they see these kind of things is anything in a game, whether it's part of the rules or not, it's got to stop air quoting. It's just not working. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, not a radio. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, you can say air quotes yeah, in the I'll game. Yeah, just keep doing quotes. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, if they basically, they, if they can do it, 
it's part of the game. It's allowed. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as you know against the rules or you know glitchiness. It's all just uh, you know, it might have been intentional by the uh, tools of the developers that, to you know give it to you. But if you can do it and it makes you fa- pass the game faster, then it's all you know, it's, it's all, all good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so like, and I, I can understand that. You know, I'm not a speedrunner myself, but I can completely understand it. If you want to clock a game as fast as you can, then freaking go for it. Yeah. I um, remember spending a lot of time in one of the particular levels on the first Halo game uh, where you, I think it's called the Silent Cartographer is the name of the level. And mm-hmm. it's basically you're on an island and you get two warthogs and we spent many, many hours just playing in cops, smashing the warthogs into each other, flicking you into the air. I think physics engines were basically what made the next generation of hilarious video game glitches. Absolutely. If you, um, like if, when the things used to have like a funny animation and it was all scripted. That was it. That's all you had. I feel like the person who made Goat Simulator is a big fan of glitches in games because that thing is just hilarious. It's a glitch merchant. Basically. Yeah. It's a gold mine for glitches. If you want to get in on the glitch. Things. Gl- glitch glo- Goat Glitch Pro. Goat <laughs> Download all the d- glitch DLC <laughs> while you're there. Um, and yeah, so there's plenty of other great things to check out in games. And I think this emergent sort of gameplay that you can play, um, telling a story about a hilarious glitch that you had is great for the games. A yeah. lot like what we were talking about before with defined story and, and embedded story and all that stuff from yep. last week's episode. You know, it's all really <coughs> interesting stuff. So, you know, that's unfortunately all we have time for today on mm. Pixel Sift. It's been another great uh, weekly show and it's fantastic to have you tuning in. Thanks if you've seen us online. Um, we can check out uh, some stuff online. If guys want to, uh, people want to have a look at our stuff online, where's the best place to go? Mitch. Wow, I was not prepared for that. But hey, yes. Okay, so the best place to find us online is pretty much on social media. So you've got facebook.com slash pixelsieved and twitter.com slash pixelsieved. And Scott, where if they want to find more episodes of what we've been listening to, where should people go and check it out? Uh, you people should go to Radio Murdoch page uh, to stream the episodes. Uh, subscribe as a podcast either on iTunes or using the RSS link on our page. So basically, I've just had this idea. Um, <laughs> Quick. So if you want to Very just quickly. let us know... Um, what's your favorite game glitch? Let us know. You can See find, send us a message on online. Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> Post it. Peace out. Bye. Picture pick.